Welcome to Season 2 of the Week Pastor Podcast, where we view Christianity through the lens of vulnerability. Welcome to the Week Pastor Podcast. We are so delighted that you have joined us here for this brand new episode. We are, we are excited to bring this to you. I'm actually more excited than Sua, because when I suggested this topic, she had no idea really where I was going. And I'm going to be quite honest, Sua, I don't really know where I'm going to go with this episode. But Those really, are the best kinds of episodes. I feel so convicted that we need to do this. So we're just going to kind of flow and see what happens. And I just want our audience to know that before we started this podcast, uh, Sua just said, I wish I had a big Bible in front of me so that people can see how holy I am because uh, we now have our mm-hmm. episodes up on YouTube. And I said, Sua, you yes. don't need a Bible to substantiate your holiness, especially when you when I'm going to ask a question, and I don't think you have an answer to this question. And that again just shows how holy you are. It just shows again how holy you are. Do you, you know a- what is super holy about me? Now what? I just realized somebody oh, like gosh. my husband texted me, and my watch went, and you can see me checking mm-hmm. my text messages. <laughs> like I was like. What? And I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this. You can see me checking. Like, you can see me distracted. It could be an emergency. Your daughter might need something. For He's you, going right? golfing. So okay. Is that, does that count? <laughs> no, that's not an emergency. Just say good luck. <laughs> good luck, young man. All right. Anyway, so I got a question. And Sue, I don't think you have an answer to this, but let's see. I have an answer, and I think it's good for me to share this. And I think it'd be good for our audience to get to kind of know it, know us a little bit. Can you share a time when you were really angry with God? We this was literally an episode that we did. Did we? Yes. We, do a, we did not do an episode on anger with God. Well, it was disappointment, but I feel like it's yeah. kind of overlapping. They're like the stages of grief. Well, our audience you know? has forgotten. Our audience, I'm sure, has forgotten. And I don't I, I remember I was like, wait a minute, I do have this, but I think I shared it already, but I'm not sure. You know how bad my memory is. But listen, our audience would need to get a refresher on this, but angry, all right angry angry like literal like when you're angry there's a difference between being angry and being disappointed i think when you were really angry with god i think it would be nice to sort of allow our audience to get into the dark world of sua and the dark world of peter i think it would be kind of cool so um think about it because i know you have nothing the look on your face is priceless because i know for you you believe literally that if you are angry with God, it is wrong. It's sinful. No, so I don't believe wanted... that because no? okay. you know why? I went to a church where they constantly, emetro.org, they would literally talk about anger <laughs> with God like all the time. And they would always talk about how it's okay to talk to God. And I swear the quote was, yeah. God is big enough to handle your angriest. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Whatever. I think wow. I think there was like a Peter so, on or someone remember. who used to say this. Wow. That's, yeah, that's God impressive. is big big enough to handle your angriest very nice or something. You know, so I, I don't I think I was and I think you know what? Like I don't know if I give I think I give enough credit to you, but I give Metro a lot of credit all the time and it's valid because I went to Metro from my mid twenties, like early to mid twenties, like twenty three yeah. until I would say thirty thirty five. Yeah. Those are some really formative adult years, you know, like the 20s to 30s. So from the time when I was engaged to the time I had both my kids, like those are some really fundamental years. And I think um, a lot of the way I view God and the way I I view the relationship between God and me was formed by Metro and like the sermons at Metro. So basically you, because those first few years, it was was just all you. (laughs) It was all me. It was all me. Ninety-seven percent, Pastor Peter, oh on Sundays. Oh um, my lord! So, like, I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't think I ever had an issue yeah. being angry with God. Okay. Yeah. Can I can I ask you a question? Um, yeah. Why Why are you hiding your thumbs? No, no, no. This is. I'm, no, no. I'm not hiding you, my you thumbs. You have holes it's because you have, you have they holes. Have to holes. Put it through. Like, yeah. I, well, how come you're not putting your thumbs through it? Because it's uncomfortable. Maybe. I think, like. I thought you were trying to it's not, um, hide your thumbs. This, from okay, the so this I think this is not properly made. It shouldn't have passed quality control <laughs> because the look at this. The sleeve when I put my arm out goes like that. So then if my thumb you know, maybe is in, you, it's too short. Maybe you brought an irregular, uh, an irregular outfit. This was like, super you got it on expensive. Discount. This you go was to outlet. Super... You go to outlet stores and you get it discount. No, they were. There's no such thing as a Lululemon outlet. All right. I bought this oh, for full Lululemon. price. It was okay. hella expensive. Because hella I, John, expensive. John said right. that it was really nice and he wanted to buy me one. So he bought it for me in Vegas. 
Um, oh, okay. It's, okay. Look, it's defective. Like it's okay. Whatever. Now you're gonna have to listen, to, watch us on YouTube. I, I, I just thought, you know, because we know we know some details about your thumb, and I thought maybe you were just trying to hide it because you were young. I just want you to know that now. Megan Fox also has toe thumbs. That's true. Um, That's true. And she's she still legitimately. I hot, did not so. know until you told me to look at the Google, and I did some some close ups. And I was yes, like, wow, and did you know she also crazy. speaks in tongue? What? What do you mean? She got. She has she got come out. Baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't know, but she's, she's come Christian? out and said that she's Christian and that she's she had this experience where she, it's it what? was an it was an interview with Megan Fox about religion. It was weird, and she talks about how she went to church one time. I think I hope I'm not misquoting her, but basically they were like, "So you just randomly speak in tongue?" And she was like, "No, no, it's not like an uncontrollable thing. Like I just suddenly yeah, start like yeah. seizing and speaking. Like it's controlled." Yeah, she's like, "It's a controlled thing. You only have to do it when you want to do it." Yeah. But she was like, "I just felt like there was something in my brain that needed to come out, and I just started speaking in tongue." That's what she said. Wow. Isn't you know, that you should You should DM her on Instagram <laughs> and just say we're twins. We share the same thumb, and we and we both speak in tongues. And who knows? I mean, we'll the get speaking the in tongues is like a very wide thing. But the toe thumbs, I think, it's a narrower demographic. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I would definitely bet my money that the toe thumbs are a smaller group of us than those who speak mm. in tongue. I one hundred percent agree yeah, with that. One hundred percent. And I don't. Even <laughs> we're, think it's more special. That. That we're is, more that special. One hundred percent fact. Yeah, that's right. It's totally. it's more special because there's some people okay. who only have one toe thumb. Like I've no met people who only way. have one. Yes. Yes. Why? Yes. How do you like only, only one? one of them is a toe thumb, but the other is like normal. But huh. I have both toe thumbs, so that makes me extra special. Extra, Capital S extra, special. Extra. So Capital I keep special. thinking, like when I first saw you come on, I was like, "Is she hiding her thumbs?" No, like, it's like, just there's, a, there's a hole where you get to put it through. There's yeah. a hole where you can put your sleeves through. Don't make me do that whole thing again, okay? Right, With right, the whole anyway. defective sleeves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uncomfortable. It, it's or maybe it I just is... have really long arms. No, no it's, it's maybe I have really no, long no. arms. You don't have long arms. I'm like an orangutan. Listen. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> definitely not that. Yeah. Don't don't. Don't give I'm sorry. So much credit. Why do you say it with such conviction? Have you ever taken a tape measure and measured my? No, arms? I just. Why are you being you. You're so proportionate? There's nothing like long. You don't. Your limbs are not long. Okay, so it's not like long. So it's wow. proportionate. I'm it's offended. Proportionate. I'm offended. <laughs> Isn't there something about you're like hilarious. your wingspan is supposed to be like your height? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, your yeah. wingspan is your height, so you can have John uh, measure it, and then you can see how long. Yeah, I'll report back. So for me, um, you know, I. I don't want to lie, so I can't say that, you know, recently or even like since I've been a pastor, there was a moment where I was like really angry with God. The only time that I was uh, was super like we're talking like I F-bombed God. Ooh. Like that's really, really like a, a dark time. It was um, and, I th and I've shared this before in the podcast is when my parent, my so I grew up poor like my whole life. And my parents, uh, they just were not good at running businesses. They've tried dry cleaning, um, gift stores, you know, uh, and then they put all their money together. They borrowed money from their friends and they decided to open up a jewelry store uh, in Manhattan. And so they did that, spend a ton of money, of course, a ton of gold, you know, all that stuff, you know, just all the different types of expensive jewelry. And I forget how much time elapsed since we opened. I, I don't really know that at that time. Um, but it was pretty early on and one day like they, they would come home from work and I was, I, I usually like to just kind of like surprise them and stuff like that. So like, I'll just hide up the stairways. We live in an apartment building and as they walk up the stairs, I'll just kind of jump down and go, ha and scare them, you know, and stuff. And I did that. And they both just looked at me with like, just this utter, just like, mm. like sad look on their face. And I had just like no idea what happened. And I just said, what happened? And they said, oh, we got robbed today. And three guys came in and they jumped over the bulletproof glass that, you know, that we put up and um, they stole pretty much all the jewelry. And like my mother got punched, you know, and stuff. And by one of them, because my mother, like she's old school, like these yeah, old school Korean yeah. moms are lunatics. They're fearless. They don't care if they get yeah, shot. They, he had a yeah, gun, yeah. pointed it to her head and he was taking the jewelry and she just, she, she grabbed his hand from taking the jewelry and thankfully, this guy didn't shoot her. He just punched her, you know, so that she would stop. And then one punch, and he was a big guy, so then he couldn't. And then two guys were holding my dad down and beating him down, you know, and stuff like that. 
And I guess the irony of it all was that, you know, we had like a, a button to press to summons the police if something like that would ever yeah. happen. And we pressed, she pressed it multiple times and they never came. And so they, they took all the jewelry and they left. And, you know, my parents didn't have insurance or anything like that. So we lost everything. And I remember just being so angry with God, like so angry, you know, because we thought perhaps this is an opportunity now for us mm-hmm. to have a little bit more money and, you know, we don't have to worry so much and so on and so forth. And, you know, I was still a very young Christian, but it was at that moment where I just gave God the double f- middle finger and I just said, you know, God, F you. I don't want anything to do with you. You suck. You don't care about us. All you want us to do is experience hardships, blah, 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 blah. And that was kind of like my rant, my anger towards God. And that was the last time that I was just infuriated with God. And I just, I guess for me, because I didn't really understand the situation deeply enough, but I just needed some somebody to blame and god was the one i had to blame because we were hoping that this could be our ticket sort of out of living the life that we've been living you know five of us you know how big my family is like my sisters are you know my second my second sister is really big think about this we lived in a two-bedroom apartment for five people i mean it was tight really really tight and so uh yeah so it was just it was just like a challenging time for us and stuff and that was the last time i was just like infuriated so Anyway, and I know you don't have one, Sua. You don't have. I mean, a, you I shared mine, like, and what I don't want to. It was. Oh, it was your friend. When my your friend, friend died. Yeah, and I don't really want to go but back you into that. But you um, weren't angry with God. You were just disappointed. Right? I was. I was it a little. Like a, I was a little mad. I was a little mad. like. I okay. literally went to church that Sunday. I was like, I can't even sing. Like, I was like, I cannot even do this mm, worship right mm. now. Like, I don't feel yeah. that God is good. Like, yeah. I don't feel it, and I just can't do it. So I just sat. Like, I just stood there in silence. Like, I was like, I can't do it because I can't do it in a okay. way that's like authentic to me. I it just I can't. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But I, you know. I think on one hand, obviously your story is from a time when you were very young, where your ideas yeah. of God. I was still in high is. school though. That was yeah, early but it high was school. like that was like ninth grade. Yeah. yeah, but I feel like you're still forming yeah. your ideas of who God is and like sure, sure, sure. Yep. Are from Him. So I think that makes more sense. Like, but you know, there's probably a reason why there's not that many after where when you're in your adult or like older, like later adult years, because yeah, I think you know, like our expectations of what god should give us or like what god owes us really evolves over time um and i think you see enough like for example i worked in a hospital for a long time i worked in a nursing home i worked in the pediatric bone marrow transplant unit i worked in a heart transplant unit like i saw people at the brink of death and a lot of them Mm -hmm. did get pushed over to death like a lot of them died like when i was working in the um pediatric oncology and bone marrow transplants seven out of ten of my patients died every year 70 percent of my patients died and they were all children and i think Mm -hmm. when you see those things and you meet those families and you interact with these children you come to a point where you realize like it doesn't the world doesn't work the way you maybe wished it did where Mm -hmm. good Mm -hmm. things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people and i think it really throws off that sense of like karmic justice that you kind of maybe in the back of your head you believe like growing up okay um and so i think and that was when i was like 21 right like i worked with those kids when i was 21 and so i don't think i ever had this understanding of the world or even god where i felt like you know good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people and Mm. that's the way the world works like i very early on in my young adult life saw that real crappy things happen to really good people and um you know those patients who are just real jerks to you and you're like i'm not saying i want them to die but like if those were the ones who had to die in the percentage of people who died like i wouldn't be as (laughs) upset as Mm. maybe like one of the patients that i really bonded with it doesn't always happen that way you know and so i don't know maybe that kind of shaped the way i also view god like i don't really think which is an interesting topic. Maybe we should do a topic about what it is that we expect from God when when oh, we God? talk about like justice yeah. and um, what is fair. Like, what does it mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, what does God's justice mean in these situations? Because ultimately, if you're angry at God, you're saying that it's not fair. Like, this is it's not, not right. fair. It's not fair. Yeah. It's not right. Exactly. And, it's like, and, you know, what, and I think sure. how we view that largely determines whether we get angry or not right. and you see that in the psalms right i mean uh david is angry with god you know just yeah, angry saying yeah. it's not fair like how come these people are you know being blessed and their kingdom is growing 
and what's going on here. And, and so there was just a lot of complaints there. So uh, saying that it's not fair. So that it's definitely a real emotion. And as Sue was shared earlier on, like, I mean, something that I tried to teach our church earlier on, just because I think it's important that we can bring the, the variety of all the emotions that we might be feeling and that it's not healthy that when we begin to suppress those feelings in our times of prayer with God, then in some ways in our relationship with God, sometimes become a bit superficial. Our prayers become superficial and then it becomes boring. Like prayer, at least for me, I enjoy prayer. I love, I don't, I'm not like, oh, I can't wait to pray, but I, I really enjoy prayer because I get to really be honest with God. Like I get to engage with him really at a very deep, honest level with kind of where I'm at, you know, what my emotions are like. And I get to like go to God with that kind of vulnerability. And I always sort of get met by God when I'm able to do that. And so, you know, that's kind of the things that we've been teaching our, our people in our church. And so, so I'm very, I'm very impressed Sua, that you remembered like literally line by line, some of the things that I, I shared. I was at the church Impressive. for like 15 years. Impressive. 15 yeah. years I was Some, at Metro. And, 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 and sometimes I'm a little impressed by like some of these words you use. I didn't even know they were words. Like you said karmic. Right? You said karmic. I think that's a I'm, word. Isn't that a word? It's, I, I don't know. I might be making I'm sure it's a though. word, but I just like, I'm like, man, you're so fancy when you talk sometimes. Like you use like, I don't I, think I guess, karmic is a fancy word. Well, I know it comes. I mean, so I don't even know what that I was like, what does that mean? But I'm thinking it comes from karma, right? Karma, yeah, 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 karma. yeah. I just think that's so fancy. You're such a fancy. No, but like karma, person. right? Like that's yeah, a thing that a yeah, lot of people believe. Absolutely. You know, like I'm my gonna children. I'm going to start using that from now on. I'm going to start using that word karmic. I, I really like that. That was a good word. So I mean, that's why you wanted to like, castrate all those people because you felt like there's you know i mean in a way you wish that god would just like send down some version of like lightning castration on these people's testicles and like every exactly. time you know what i mean exactly. but it doesn't work that way i think that's why sometimes you feel like you have to take matters into your own hands and be like a vigilante castrator you that's know right. <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah, that was that was a fun episode when we talked about that. And I, did, I didn't even know what castration was. You're like, wait a minute. Like, it's just the testicles. I'm like, no, it's not. It's full. It's like everything. You're like, no, it's not. Well, that's because how do they pee? Put a tube, no put a sense. straw, do whatever it takes, you know? But they're not allowed to use that. But anyway, but you'll be funny if I started preaching one Sunday and I used the word karmic. And then some people that listen to this podcast start laughing when I use that word. Like, oh, my God, he got that from Sua. I'd be like, oh, shoot, what's going on here? That, that would mean, be a little weird. They'll know now. That would be a little they'll weird. They'll know now. They'll know now. I like that. Karmic. That's a good word. That's a good word. But anyway, hey, so what do we want to, what I want to do today, if it's okay, uh, Sue, with you, and I hope, hopefully we can kind of go deeper into this. I wanted to do a, an episode on the psyche of a pastor. And I know when I kind of, like, we talked about it, you were like, what? Psyche of a pastor? What are we going to really talk about? But here's the deal. Like, I just want our audience to understand the psyche of a pastor because a lot of times when you hear these terrible stories about pastors doing terrible things, whether it be failure, moral failure, you know, bezeling funds or whatever it might be, abusive leadership and power and things like that. Like I just, I, I, we just tend to like just, you know, demonize, maybe that's not the best word to say, but we just like really judge them very harshly. And I just kind of wanted our audience to understand sort of like the psyche of a pastor, you know, me being one, but I have been in relations with relationships with hundreds of different types of pastors, not very close relationships, but very close relationships with just a handful, but I've mentored pastors. And I just think there's a sort of a common thread to our psyche that I kind of wanted our audience to sort of understand, not to make excuses for what we do in terms of the things that we do that's wrong. But at the same time, maybe to offer sort of like, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, like a just, hey, understand a little bit and and hopefully uh, it'll help you to be a little bit more empathetic uh, towards pastors. And I don't even know if that's even a goal, but I just want to spend some time about talking about the psyche of a pastor. So, so what did you think when I actually mentioned that? What what was going through your mind when I said, hey, let's talk about the psyche of a pastor? I don't know. I mean, I was <laughs> like, I'm not a pastor, so I don't really know. So I think you're going to have like some questions. Yeah. So I think here's where I would like to begin. I just want our audience to know that of the hundreds of pastors that I've met along the way in my journey, I have never met a pastor who went into ministry not loving Jesus Christ. They all did this because it was a calling. They loved Jesus Christ. They had a relationship with Christ in that way, and they did. They never say, "Hey, you know what? Let me let me do this because I need to get a job." 
I need to figure out. I got to do something with my life. Let me just be a pastor. Uh, let's do this. It's a way to make some money. No, the pause. people that I met. What? Pause what? I have met somebody who went in because their their dad was a pastor and they just felt like they had to be a pastor. I yes, don't really okay. know if, I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but there's, there's no yeah. way 100% of all of those pastors who you like, Maybe that was the story. Um, maybe this is the pessimist in me. But to be yeah. honest, if you ask me to Dang like girl. bet money on it, because money is where you're put your money where your mouth is. Okay, I don't know. I don't. I would not bet that a hundred percent of pastors are called. I, I just don't believe that. Agreed. Agreed. I, I okay. Agreed. I would say that. So like this this person that you know who went because his followers are pastors. I know a few people like that as well. However. All of them did this, not necessarily just because it's their father, or their father's a pastor, but they did this also because they have a real relation, a love relationship with God, that they have a rela- 100%. relationship. 100%. Right? You're saying literally yes. 100% of the pastors you have met have gone yes. in because they were personally called. I find that so hard to believe. Not personally called necessarily. Early, but they did it because they loved Jesus and they wanted to do ministry because of Even that. Even like, that, it I don't was, know. It, it was a good intention. Come I can on, tell you, you disagree with me. I would never say that a hundred percent of the pastors that I have met love Jesus. All right. So let's just say this. All right. All right. All right. So this is good. This is why this is a good episode, mm-hmm. right? Because you're already disagreeing with me. Yeah. On this. I let's just. I'll just say this then. The majority, the majority of pastors that I know, went into ministry because they really love Jesus. Okay. And they Fine. wanted to expand the kingdom <laughs> of God. Like that was their intention. We can land there. But here's the deal. It's so hard to be a pastor. It is not an easy thing. And the thing that gets pastors very upset is when people actually think you only preach, you only work one day a week. Like that's so insulting. It's such an insulting statement to make. I know people say that jokingly, but it's like, it's that, and I had, I had lunch with a pastor yesterday. I was saying, I'm going to be doing this on this podcast and I'm going to be talking about the psyche of a pastor. We just talked about that. Like they just think we just work one day a week and that's it. But there's just never a time where we don't work that's the thing because when people are struggling they call us for help different things like that but there's just so much pressure in being a pastor and uh and and there's just there's just a there's a fragility i think there we're, we're fragile in so many ways because i think the struggles that we have is that we're doing this because we love god we want to expand the kingdom of god but here's the thing so and i don't I, i'm not trying to make an excuse but it's hard. It's hard to have to preach a sermon every week. It's hard to think about like what do I say? It's hard to to, you know, because in some ways pastors were impressionable and we care about our people and we want to preach a good message, right? Glorify God. But at the same time, we don't want to preach a message where somebody says you suck at preaching. So there's pressure there, right? And there's pressure in just like when we live in a culture, in church culture today, where pastors quote unquote, successful pastors are the ones who have a large church. And so there's pressures there with pastors as well. Like, okay, well, I have to now perform. I have to grow this church. And if I don't grow this church, guess what? I really suck. Like I'm not good. And then there are the pastors that actually get there and they grow the church and they realize this doesn't fulfill. It doesn't satisfy. And then there's more temptations. And then you feel more inadequate about, about now I have to pastor this large church and I don't even know what I'm doing. And there's struggles there. And so like, I'm not making excuses, but I'm just saying that, you know, sort of the, 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 the ecosystem of being a pastor is very fragile. And, uh, and, you know, that's one of the reasons why I think so many pastors fall. I'm not making excuses. There needs to be deeper accountability and things like that. But it's so hard because we're expected to be strong. We're expected to be this giant spiritually. Like there's these expectations we have that people have of us. And a lot of times we just can't meet it. And I would say on top of that, Sua, before you start, I'm going to let you go and share what your thoughts. Like I just want to like let people know like not all pastors actually find it natural and they read the Bible and pray and they have that. Like I think there are times where pastors fall into this in, into this unhealthy place where they have this professional relationship with God, meaning they preach on Sundays, they show people like, here it is kind of a thing, but they really struggle to have a personal relationship with God. Now that's, you know, that's on them no matter what, of course, but it's hard. And there is a challenge. Like you get paid to read the Bible and preach the Bible. 
And now you're being asked to like read this now for yourself and everything. And it's sometimes it can be a little bit of a challenge and dealing with that. And there's just a, a lot of a lot of insecurities that ministry can build within a pastor. And it's just so hard. So anyway, that's just some of the things that I want to say. And there's some of the things I want to kind of talk about. But I just hope that whatever church you belong to, that you would also realize that you would realize that, you know, it's difficult and it's very challenging to be a pastor. And there are some things that we go through that I don't think a typical person would experience within their job in some ways. So anyway, that's kind of what I would say, but please feel free. You know, to what's funny. And I, I don't, um, I'm not saying this to you, but I, I the look just, on your face is priceless. No, no, no. It just reminded me of something that John, like, um, I hope he doesn't get in trouble, but like he was saying how like people are always, I'm not saying this to you. I was just thinking about this because we just talked about this. John and I just talked about this. He wants to get a sign because John's the program director for the residency program here. And he wanted to oh, get a giant poster that says, nobody cares. Work harder. <laughs> 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 because people come in to complain to him yeah. about like how difficult everything is. Yeah. And he literally just wants to be like, nobody cares. Just work harder. Yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah. obviously very toxic. I'm not saying yeah, that's yeah, what exactly. I'm saying to you. I'm just saying, I just thought it was really funny that that was his response. Um, and you know what? Fine. In some cases, it's valid. Like, I think some people do need to stop whining and just like put in the work. I don't think that's yeah. the case with this pastor conversation. I just thought it was a funny response. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what would, you know, what would you like to sort of, how would you like to respond? And 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 please, let's, 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 let's even banter if we need to. No, no, no. I'm it. thinking like, you say pastor, but the role of pastor has evolved a lot, I think, even in the past 20, 30 years of mm -hmm. me being alive. Like how what I expect from a pastor is very different from the pastor that I grew up seeing okay. and the pastors that so, I see in the churches I attend. For example. Yeah. Yeah. What were you gonna give say? Us an example. No, like no, for example, give us an example. Yeah. It's become a to me, the way I see it it's become a lot less personal. So when I was growing mm. up, the pastors knew pretty much, and yes, it was a smaller church, so this was doable, but the yeah. pastors were the ones who came to your house when you bought a new house. They came to like christen the house. I mean, not yeah. like literally, yeah. but you know yeah. what I mean? Like they would come yeah, to yeah, like yeah, a yeah. service at your house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes they would come if like your mother passes away and it's like their anniversary of the first year, they would come to your house. Mm. You know, um, if like I feel like it was a lot more personal and the pastor okay. was expected to do much more smaller scale personal things. Like if you're, if somebody in your house was sick, the pastor would come and pray for them, you know? Yeah. And now yeah. I yeah. think, and I'm not saying one's right, one's wrong. I'm just saying that these are the changes that I've seen. It's almost expected mm -hmm. for a senior pastor of a church of a certain size to not necessarily need to know the people in your church. Like I remember when yeah. I used to attend the church, not Vineyard, mm -hmm. but the church I used to go to before, the, there was a campus pastor and there was the preaching senior pastor. Yeah. And the campus pastor said to me, yeah, we usually tell the senior pastor after he preaches, go to your room because I don't want you to have to interact with all these people. Like it's too yeah. stressful. So yeah. your job, basically what that communicated to me is your job at this church. Like your main function at this church is to yeah. be the visionary and to be the preacher and all yeah. of the yeah. relational yeah. shepherding types of ministries, like those, like the priestly things or whatever, like those yeah. things fall on the campus pastor. So there's very specific yeah. delineations of what each pastor's role right. is. Right, right. Like are, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that was not something that I saw when I was growing up. Like the pastor right. did a lot of it. And again, yeah. much smaller church. This other church I attended was like 3,000 people. So obviously it's not realistic for yeah. to expect the senior pastor to be able to have that kind of relationship with everybody. But it's a clear difference in the way I perceived the pastor yeah. when I was growing up to the pastor that I see now. Yeah. Do you have... No, absolutely. Um, I, I can't disagree with that because I think when a church is larger, you know, you can't expect the, the lead guy to know everyone, right? Because right. the reality is one person can only really care for 12 people. That's it. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's, you know, that's, that's a fact. And so, you know, and that's why Jesus only had 12 that he was able to really connect and, 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 uh, and pour into. So, you know, it's, it's just, understanding the boundaries and realities of that. But I think if you are, if you were part of a church right now, like if in a church in Ohio and maybe the church was, let's say, you know, 30, 40 people, I think that pastor, the senior pastor would know everyone in the church, right. In some capacity, you know, stuff like that. So I think it just depends on the size of the church you go to. And then there's different roles and responsibilities. I think, you know, that, uh, that, that happens. So yeah, the roles do evolve, but I think 
even back in the day when the church was very large, you know, like say back in the 90s and 80s, that happened for any church because there's no way a lead pastor would do everything and is expected to do everything because then they would just die. They would die of a heart attack. They just right. couldn't get enough hours in so the day to do that. So I think that's my question is like, what do we mean when, because yeah. now there's a, when I was growing up, there was no such thing as executive pastor, senior pastor, preaching pastor, one, like maybe a woman's pastor and a children's pastor. Yeah. But, yeah. um, it was just the pastor, you yeah. know, and I, I guess I'm trying to understand, like, what do we mean when we say a pastor? Because I definitely think that there's different responsibilities and burdens depending on like what your church setup is, like how it's organized and yeah. like what your primary responsibility is, um, which also makes me wonder. And again, you said we can go all over the place. What is this? I like who is a pastor? Like where in the Bible does a pastor even fit in? Because if you, uh, in the new Testament, there's no such thing as a pastor, Yeah, you know, like it was like Paul writing all of these like epistles, like, you know, from like far away. And like, they were just kind of managing themselves. And then he would send these like people and um, they would kind of go check up on them. And then they would like exhort yeah. them with more letters. And yeah, I don't even know where this idea of like a pastor even came from. Sure. You know, sure. I mean, you obviously know. <laughs> well, I mean, when you think about, like, when you look at the Old Testament, I mean, the temples had priests, you know, uh, even the Jewish faith during the first century, you know, there were high priests, there were, you know, Pharisees. So there were people that were committed in shepherding their flock, right? And so that's basically the same concept is within within Christianity is that there is somebody who is like the spiritual leader who is in charge of pastoring and helping growing people, somebody who's dedicating their life to you know reaching people for god and you know discipling them helping them to grow and creating this church community right so yeah and you don't see it in the bible really because it just got started the movement just got started and uh you know and they were just trying to figure out how to do this but as the church got more organized eventually there always has to be a you know a shepherd somebody to oversee it so it's just it was just like an organic process in that sense so yeah you know pastors not, are called shepherds like i am not questioning the role yeah. of pastors or the office of yeah. pastors like i love my pastors but i definitely think it's interesting because you know as you said like okay fine the church just started but that's a slippery slope to say oh it just wasn't there because it was too early there's so many other things we could add in there that mm -hmm. be like oh it just could have organically happened like i don't really know and i guess that that the reason why I started thinking a lot about that question was also because if you look at some other cultural traditions, like in the black church, there's a lot of pastors who are like, I started my office of pastorship when I was like 12 and yeah. I just felt the Holy yeah. spirit fire. And Absolutely. then I just started preaching. And it's like, what qualifies that person to be sure. a pastor at 12? Like who can determine whether really the spirit came down on them and then suddenly they became a preacher? Is there a difference between a preacher and a pastor? Also, mm -hmm. some churches say you can't be a pastor unless you get an MDiv. And then some churches say you have sure. to have a minimum doctor of ministry. Some churches say as long as you are just somebody who we can be accountable for, we can give you the role, like the name of pastor, like pastor of worship but maybe you can't be yeah. a preaching pastor. Like, I don't even understand what that even means. Like there's the word pastor just gets thrown around. And what do yeah. we mean by that? And, you know? and so, well, so listen, I mean, that. so there's an aspect of God's calling upon your life. So if God calls you at the age of 12 and you're preaching at the age of 12, he's calling you to grow into that and grow into the role of being a pastor. So I think the calling is what supersedes anything else, right? God calls people to be a pastor and, most of the times, pastors should receive that calling and say yes and go forward, right? And do that. So I think that's it. In terms of like what constitutes what makes a pastor, I'm not too concerned with that because every every church, every denomination is so different. And I just think, you know, everyone has different ways. There's really no like silver bullet that says, here it is, you know, outside of if God calls you, you go and you do it, right? And so we could say the first 12 pastors were the disciples. They were the first pastors of the church because they went out, they did their thing. You know, they 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 did their best to raise up churches and things like that. And Paul was like the pastor of the Gentiles. I mean, that's he pastored, he started so many churches and he appointed leaders and raised up leaders to oversee it and so on and so forth. So I mean that's kind of how how we do how 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 we do that. But if I can just draw back a little bit and just talk about a little bit about like why the psyche of a pastor, <laughs> if I could keep talking about the struggle, I think one of the things that uh, you know, uh pastors struggle with the most about being in this calling in this ministry is that we 
we just don't know how to have healthy boundaries. And that's one of the greatest struggles of, of pastors. I think one of the greatest reasons why we fall. And 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 it's because we don't know how to create boundaries enough to make sure that we're doing well and that we just don't get sucked up into you know the role of being a pastor. And that's I guess that's with anyone, like somebody who works on Wall Street. They're never home. They're always just working. I mean, it's going to take a toll, not just on you, but on your family and different things like that. But there was a study that came out years ago that said, uh, you know, uh, there is no other profession but the role of clergy that destroys the family more. There is no other profession in this, in, you know, in this world that destroys the family more than the role of clergy. And so the statistical evidence, and that's why it was considered to be the second worst job in America, right? It's to be a clergy. And the first, you know, I've said this before, is the people who cut down trees because the mortality rate is very high. People die cutting down trees, you know, and stuff like that. But the reason why they said clergy is a second worst is because there's there's no other profession that uh, that uh, that destroys the family more so than this role of clergy. And part of that is because we don't know how to have boundaries. So we don't have healthy boundaries. Okay. And a result of that, you know, I think it it just gets us really in trouble. And then when home is not going well, church is not going well, we feel, you know, it just puts us in a real downward spiral. And then, you know, we entertain different types of whatever, you know, sin and other stuff like that. So, yeah. I feel like the issue, though, I don't disagree with you, but I don't really, uh, okay. I don't know. I'm just giving you the non-pastor's perspective. I don't know if Please. the issue is necessarily boundaries. I think the issue is affirmation. Like, I think it's it's like the reason why people, the reason why people in general can't put boundaries is because we're, we need others to like us that's literally the right. core problem the boundaries right. are the symptom so if you can't if you're getting your validate validation as a pastor and as a person from other people you yes. can't put boundaries because a yeah. you're upset they're gonna get hurt or leave the church yeah. or not be your friend or whatever if you say no um so you can't say no because you need people to like you yeah and then b sometimes you don't put boundaries because you feel you like feeling needed like you like that feeling right. of people being right. like, we can't do this right. without you so yeah. I think you're right. The boundaries is the way you see this this manifestation. But at the core of it, the problem is that at our basic level, humans want to be wanted, needed, validated, yes. affirmed. And pastors, yes. just like the rest of us, are humans. But unfortunately, they're thrust into this position where it's so much more heightened. Like everything yeah. is so much more heightened because you're on stage yeah. all the time. You're visible yeah. all the time. People call yeah. you yeah. all the time. And so, yeah. you know, it's kind of an extension of like the broader human problem. It's just yeah. that it's like everything is on hyper mode. You know, everything's exaggerated. Yeah. You, you know, know? And, 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 you know, like, and there's just so much, and there's this pressure. Cause like, you know, a couple episodes ago, a couple episodes ago, we talked a little bit about, you said, if somebody would say that you were a bad mom, yeah, that would hurt you. Right. Right. Now, could you imagine like that happening minimally once a week, right? Like, so like for a pastor, like you're trying, you're trying to serve hard, you're doing the best you can, but your church is now growing. And in the culture in which we live in today, we see growth, we see the size of a church to determine sort of like we're making it and we're, we're being a good pastor. It's almost on a weekly basis. You have to, you know, you have to realize, oh my God. I'm a bad pastor. Like, it's just nobody wants to come and be a part of this church. So there's that insecurity. And the reality is that the majority of churches in this country are very small. There are very few churches that are over 200 plus, right? And so the majority of the churches are are, are 100 and under. And so it's lower than 100. So there's this, there's this, there's this tension. And there's this, oh my gosh. And then every week, like, I got to come up with a sermon again. And I don't know what to preach on. And there's all these pressures. And I had a friend uh, and he got he got fired because um, he, uh, I mean, he, I think he ended up quitting, but he was plagiarizing sermons. That's because not he couldn't. Yeah, he couldn't think yeah. of a new sermon every. And I and like, you know, some people are like, how could he do that? Like, I am so empathetic towards that because it's not easy preaching. And now, now I, I I have a luxury now where I don't have to preach every Sunday, and I'm so thankful for that. And uh, you know, and I know a lot of my pastor friends that I'm very close with. They may, you know, they they try to they're passive aggressively making fun of me, right? Saying, "Oh wow, like oh my god, you're preaching two Sundays in a row. Are you going to go on a sabbatical now?" Kind of a thing. You know, and so like we laugh about that, but the reality is that it's so hard to like you know have to sit down every Sunday. It's like writing a term paper every week. Like okay, now I got to come up with another sermon, 
and there's just all these pressures and i just think it's 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 a lot and not being able to draw the lines of like you know okay how do i sort of draw on healthy boundaries so that i nurture my relationship with god my family and all that stuff at the same time i got to do this and here's the reality most pastors most pastors not all right i don't want to say most there's a large number of pastors in our country today that are so unhappy because of their elder board because of the board in which is a part of that church. And there's a lot of pastors pastors that struggle with this reality. I'm supposed to be the shepherd of the church, but yet I can't because the board prevents me from doing that. And so there is that tension and having to deal with those realities as well. And it's not just, hey, do whatever you want to do, isn't it? But there's pastors that where the board is like, no, you can't do that. We, we forbid you to do that. And then they get fired if they don't do a good job. So then there's this pressure. Oh my God, the church isn't growing. Well, guess what's going to end up happening? If it doesn't grow, you're going to get fired. And so there's just there's just like a lot of pressure. I, I guess that's why I want to kind of talk about this because I just think it's 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 challenging to be a pastor. And I just want to talk about the psyche, just kind of like what pastors go through, what they're thinking, what are the things that they're wrestling with many times. Uh, it's it's uh, you know it's hard. It's not easy. But do you anyway. think again? I'm looking at it from the outside perspective. I definitely yes. think pastors have it rough and thank God I wasn't called because I don't want to do it. <laughs> but um, I also think a lot of other jobs are really difficult. Like, for example, sometimes I think about being a teacher. I read an article mm -hmm. recently about being a teacher and how during the pandemic, droves of teachers had to go into anxiety meds and how yeah. like, and in a joking way, they were saying how public school teachers are one of the biggest um, consumers of like CBD products. <laughs> It's so much anxiety. Um, What's and like, CBD is what? CBD, What's CBD, like, you know, like, it's like marijuana, like marijuana? but like the legal version. Oh, gotcha. It's like, okay. So, okay. I mean, it was like a joke, but it was in the article. It was kind of funny, but also sad. Um, and so, like, I think a lot of professions have, like, their distinct challenges. And this is a bit of a weird question, but do you think that maybe if those past if pastors were financially compensated better, it wouldn't be as big of a problem? Like th I'm just throwing this in because yeah. I remember I was well, talking and that's, to you. Well, thank you for that. Okay. So yeah. Pastor Doug, you know, Pastor Doug in your church, once yeah. he and I had this conversation about him being called to be a pastor, but he used to work in, I think like the banking world before. Yeah. And I would say, how yeah. did you like your job? And he was like, I hated my job. It was like draining my soul. Like all the time I wanted to die. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, but, and he goes, but I did it because when the paycheck comes, it was so spirit giving. It was so soul giving because you yeah. see the check and you're like, well, you know what? This yeah. kind of makes up for it. You know? Yeah. And I think that's the way the human mind works is if there's going to be pain, there better be some reward. Um, and I can deal with this corporate job that is sucking the spirit out of me because right. it pays well. And at least it's paying me right. well. And I think yeah. it, we need that sense of balance, you know, and maybe I'm sorry if this is like a weird question, but I feel like maybe one of the reasons why it's so difficult, like for teachers also, because they work so hard and they're not financially yeah. compensated for the work that they do. Um, do you think like maybe it could have something to do with the fact that like pastors work like 24 seven, like all the time, a lot of things that are unseen, similarly to teachers, because people say things to them like, well, you get the entire summers off, but they don't see all yeah. of the work that they do um, after school, grading papers and preparing for class. It's like in a similar way, like pastors, there's so much more that goes behind, um, you know, the stage or like behind the doors where like you just don't see the work that they do. Um, but maybe there's this sense of like, I'm not being, I'm not getting like what I deserve. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think that's definitely a case. You know, I mean, you know, we're all, the majority of pastors are financially underpaid, right? And, you know, you don't go into the ministry to be a, to be wealthy. And, you know, this is a calling where you're not, not necessarily not called to live in poverty, but just financially, that'll be difficult. And depending yeah, on what are you, you live not? in the country. Because the, I, I think, you know, I, I've spoken to a lot of people about this because of the preachers yeah. and sneakers and all this stuff. A lot of yeah. people, like much more than you would believe or much more than you would maybe expect, actually yeah. do believe that pastors have taken a vow of poverty. Um, maybe they don't think that they should be like destitute and like be living off of crumbs yeah. and like leftovers, like the way maybe yeah. like back in the day. But a lot of people still have this idea that pastors should still not be well off. It's something that makes them very uncomfortable. Like, do you not? When pastors, that, I, I, disagree, I, I disagree with that uh, because uh, there, there is, you know, there is this, I think there's this tension 
that pass pastors should not be well off. They shouldn't be wealthy. Um, and what that does in many ways is I think what it does is that it convinces churches and church boards to underpay their pastor uh, to the point where the pastor, you know, I mean, the spouse has to work. There's no other way uh, to, to work around that. Uh, so I just think like that idea that pastors shouldn't be, shouldn't have money or shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't be financially secure. It's an old way of thinking. And I don't think every pastor is called to be wealthy and do well and 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 be financially secure, but you know I think it's it's the product of of where the church is at. The church is doing well, then the you know the churches should pay the pastor well enough so that they can support themselves, okay. you know, and stuff. Pause. But I will say yes, this: go on. no, okay, yeah, no, no, pause. Go. No, I was going to ask but you no, about no, no, that. Let me just finish. Yeah, go on, go on. Yeah, let me just finish this. Yeah, go on. There are pastors that write books. There are pastors that write very successful books, speak at different conferences and stuff like that. That's extra money that they're making mm -hmm, that causes mm -hmm. them to then be a lot more financially secure mm -hmm. and be wealthier, right? And so as a result of that, they become wealthy. As long as the pastor doesn't necessarily use that just for themselves and they just totally increase their standard of living and they're able to, you know, be more generous in the giving aspect, you know, as, as they, as their wealth increases, I think that's totally fine. I mean, that's, there's nothing wrong with a pastor having a following and they're, you know, and they're writing books and they're doing well, they're speaking at conferences, making good money. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as that money doesn't corrupt them. Now, if it does corrupt them, cause it can, right. Money can't corrupt anyone can definitely corrupt pastors as corrupted pastors all the time. Uh, but as long as you know the the pastor is committed to giving generously, then I think, man, all the more make as much money as you can. You know, I I, I met up with a pastor uh, uh, recently, and he invests in real estate. He's been investing in real estate even before he was in ministry, and he does really well for himself. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I was just like, that's great. You know, it's great that you do well, and he's doing really great as as a pastor. But he really likes to invest in real estate and that's kind of one of his things and i'm just like wow that's great you know it's, it's amazing and uh you know good for you go for it so i don't think pastors are called to live um a life of poverty and uh but i i do feel like we have to be careful because we don't you know it, it, it's it's a fine line right if a pastor is driving to church in a rolls royce you know, and stuff like which that. Is, because those, in those some are the church lines. cultures, which they really want. Yeah. Um, and actually, yeah. Yeah. in many yeah. Korean churches, they give very nice luxury cars to their pastors to they don't give it to them. They you they let the so like the, the office of the pastor comes with certain benefits, which includes a car and a house. And so it doesn't it doesn't belong to the pastor. But like I know a lot of Korean churches will pay for yeah the house and like the car and the kids even like education sometimes as part of like the package yeah. that they offer the pastors instead of yeah. like giving them the actual money but what i wanted to touch upon about what you said though is yeah there is a big problem that i perceive from what you're saying which when you say if the church is doing well if the pastor is doing well yeah because that exactly is why pastors have such issues because internally, sometimes they can't then say things. If you're measuring the church church's success and how yes. much your salary increases based on the number of people who attend church or how many people buy your book or how many book contracts, it it's very contingent upon giving people what they want to hear. Okay. Yeah. And that is literally contradictory sometimes to what God wants you to preach to your people. And yes. I think therein lies yes. the problem is like, if your quality of life is going to depend on the salary that depends on the success, quote unquote, of the church, which de is determined by how big your church is, for example, mm -hmm, you're, do mm -hmm. you think a pastor is going to be willing, like more willing to speak challenges to the church where people don't want to hear these things? When God says to the pastor, I want you to preach about race this Sunday, and the pastor is yeah. like, I will, but then he does, and a bunch of people leave, and now the elder board's like, "Well, I don't know about your salary increase this year because a bunch of our people people left." It, yes. It's so hard to then, because pastors are also human, to then be right. open to saying the things that they hear from God and speak yeah. to their congregation, because now your livelihood and your family's yeah. livelihood depends on that. And so I right. feel like there's right. got to be a different way to measure success or like the way we compensate our pastors than how well, quote unquote, the church is doing or the metric needs to change. Because I feel like, you know, I quote this a lot, like I said this before, but I was so 
like mind blown Beth Moore said that thing on her Twitter about how God will not only hold pastors accountable for not preaching what they he told them to preach, but will also hold the congregation accountable for silencing the pastors. This is like this weird interplay where, you know, of course, pastors find it difficult to say what they need to say as shepherds and prophets and all the things that they are to their community if the people are going to get really angry and write hate mails to them. Because if that dir- right. it's already hard enough. But then when you add right. the component of exactly like, livelihood in there and your quality yeah. of like your children's yeah. lives and your family's lives, yeah. it's like impossible. How do you do that? I mean, it's I'm hard. I'm going on a little rant. No, it's hard. And Sue, it's it's even difficult when a pastor is being faithful and they're, they're doing everything. They're growing the church. They're preaching on race. They're doing everything right. And they're still getting underpaid. Like that's even wrong too. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, you know, you could do everything right, but still you know, go through the hardships of whatever it might be. And a fear of the church, because pastors, and if anything, it's like you're, you want the approval of the people in which you pastor. And so there is that thing of like, yeah, you know, if I preach on race, or if I preach on this, will I lose people? I mean, that's a, that's a legitimate thing, right? Because then it's going to yeah, hurt me in the end. The elders may not like it, so on and so forth. And then there have been elder boards that said, you better not ever preach on this again. And it's like, who are you to tell me what I can preach on or not? Right. God is the one right. who tells me what I preach on or not. But right. that's just the reality. And that's why Pat, the, the psyche of a pastor is so fragile because of these tensions that they're wrestling with. It's like, God's my boss. But yet now I have these elders that are telling me I can't do this anymore. So I can't do it anymore. You know? And so it's just, there's, there's just so much that goes on, the complexities of it. It's so different, you know, and stuff like that. And it's just really hard and just trying to figure out what do I do and how do I do this right? And so it's not as, it's, it's just so difficult. And that's why the role of being a pastor is very difficult because it's just, it's hard. And that's why I think when pastors fall, I just want our audience to know that it's not just one day, like they were just, bad all the time like they were bad from the moment they started and that's what they did what they did right now maybe some i'm sure there's exceptions like that but the reality is is that as they're trying to be faithful as they're trying to live their life and be faithful to god and pastoring there's so many different pressures on the outside that contributes to them really being fragile and them just kind of really struggling with sort of their own self-worth but also, am I going to do this? Am I going to get fired if I do this? You know, what's going on? All that stuff. And it's just, it's hard. It's deflating. It's, 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 it's many times, you know, they feel incredibly, we feel incredibly defeated on, on, on the regular in that way. And so it's, you know, I feel like I've been very fortunate because I planted the church and, you know, that hasn't been my experience, you know, at Metro. But nonetheless, like, you know, like I've known people that I've seen in ministry and it's just so difficult and it hurts because I've known some amazing pastors with just amazing hearts. They're just excellent. Their churches should be so thankful to have somebody like this person. And um, and yet they're not being loved and appreciated the way they want to be. And uh, and I think it's wrong when a church really underpays a pastor and decides never to like make up for it. You know, so like an example, if a church was struggling during COVID and they had to cut the pastor's salary, understandable, right? Church is struggling. Mm-hmm. But if they're out of COVID and they're back to normal and they don't compensate the pastor uh, or at least put their salary back to where it was pre-COVID, that's really wrong. And I've, I also want to even stories. add to that. I want to add that, you know, when I was at Metro and, you know, this is good and bad. When I was working at Metro, there was this culture of in corporate. There's a lot of times when we have to say that's not my job. Like that, I'm not, that's yeah. not what I'm getting paid yeah. to do. Like yeah. give it to somebody else. I never say that at Betro because it's a team and we all yep. do parts. Like It's like, there's, there was a sense of community and we're one body and, you know, yeah. I can't just say, I'm not going to do that because that's not part of my job description. We are all going to cut each other some slack and do sometimes things that are not. However, I also think mm-hmm. that that can be really abused in a church setting when we say, yes. well, you you should, we're all part of this one church. Like you should still just do that task that you're not getting paid to do, or it's not part of your job just because you're part of this team. And I think it's a very, very thin line between having the mentality of being a team member or like part of the body. And then the people who are overseeing it, not being able to see when somebody is clearly continuously doing something that is not part of their um, job description or part of what they're being, you know, 
compensated or what they've been called or assigned to do and just saying, well, that's fine because clearly that person's fine doing it. Like, I feel like there's got to be, especially within the church, an ability to figure out if somebody's doing something that is not part of their job or if they are to be able to compensate them for the work that they're doing. Yeah. You know, and I think that gets no, really touchy inside the church. It does. Yeah. You know, it really does. And, you know, I don't know if that makes sense. But, yeah. Oh, it totally makes sense. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I, I so I, I, what I'm saying is whoever's listening, and if you're not a pastor, I just want, like, you know, appreciate your pastor, you know, thank them, be grateful. And, um, you know, and let's not compare them to any other pastor. Uh, they are called by God and appreciate and be grateful for them. And then if you're a pastor and you're listening right now, maybe you're in a season where it's just been really hard and you're thinking about maybe quitting your church, quitting ministry, you know, 1200 pastors every month either get, or either quit the ministry or they actually um, get fired. And uh, during this post pandemic uh, time, uh, the studies have said close to about 45% for sure, but they're saying probably about 50% of pastors right now in the United States are thinking about quitting. And so that's half of us. Mm-hmm. And I just want to encourage you um, that if you are in that season where you're really struggling, I'm not going to just say, hey, man, just, you know, oh, what was that sign that he, that um, that John said? Stop complaining, work hard, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> no, in some sense, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you got to keep moving forward. But understand the calling. Like here at the end of the day is this. If God really called you to be a pastor, that's all we have to hold on to. Because at the end of the day, even if people tell us we're not called or people fire us because of it or people make us feel like crap because we feel like they, they, they feel like we're not doing a good enough job. If God's called you, then at the end of the day, you hold on to that because God's called you to do this. And no matter what, we have to continue to nurture our relationship with God to the point where we know that we are his beloved in whom he's well pleased with. That if we really believe that with our hearts, not just with our heads, then, you know, whatever people say outside of that, that's different, you can still stay strong. Easier said than done, absolutely. But try to get with some people in your life that makes you, you know, that makes you feel loved, cared for, accepted in that way, and that you can just be who you are. And uh, and I think it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to be a pastor, but I just want to encourage you to just keep moving forward. And if there's anything you'd like to reach out to me about, feel free to do so. You can email me at peter at weekpastor.org, um, or you can just comment on the comment section. But uh, you know, depression amongst pastors, Sue, you, you may not know this clinically. I didn't look it up, but I, you know, I did it for a sermon years ago. Um, we are probably about five to ten percent higher than the average American in terms of clinically depressed pastors. And so there's just a lot. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we go through that I don't think people fully understand and uh, and how hard sometimes it is for us to get to a place, you know, um, to handle the failures, to handle the rejection, to handle, you know, uh, feeling like we are disappointing people all the time. It's really difficult and uh, and it's hard. And so, you know, I hope in some ways it was helpful for people to hear this today and uh, appreciate your pastors and do the best you can to love and care for them. And, uh, you know, if you need to be honest with them, yeah, just share the truth with love. And I think that's good. That's a good thing, too, to be honest with a pastor as well. So, um, yeah. So anything from you before we uh, close up today? Well, you know, as you know, if you listen to if you listen to our podcast episode and we went to our YouTubes and um, Instagram algorithms that I listen to a lot. Of, I listen to a lot of Francis Chan. <laughs> I, well, I was watching a video of him at a like a, a some kind of conference he was like a speaker like a plenary speaker or something and he got up and he was saying in the middle of a sermon he was like you guys don't know what goes on in the mind of a speaker when they come up here it's like i get so distracted because i'm thinking as i'm preparing like i really hope god moves i really hope god does something what can i say to make the people move like what can i do to make an impact like i really hope god moves and he says but that's such a distraction because that's not what he was called to do. He's called to preach about he's he's there to lead people to stand in awe of who God is, to glorify yeah. God. Like, but it's yeah. so distracting to think about, I hope, I hope the expectations that mm-hmm. he comes to this as. And I think that's kind of in a way a psyche 
of a pastor when they get up there to speak. There's these two sides of where, you know, yeah. on one hand, you know you're there to just preach God's word. But on the other hand, you have you come to it with expectations as any preacher does sure. because they've worked so hard on the sermon. They want their church to see God. Absolutely. And it's, yep. you know, sometimes it's like balancing those things or even like yeah. getting rid of one to focus on God. So I, yeah. I, it's something that's very foreign to me because I don't ever get on stage to talk about God. So it's, I don't understand it, but I can imagine the kind of like pressure that comes with it. But also maybe it's like a little, I don't want to end on like a depressing note, but um, <laughs> I was reading the, the it's okay. today. As you said, I was like, being a quote unquote holy person, but I was reading the Beatitudes. And they there's it was very interesting because they talk about the prophet versus the false prophet, right? Like mm -hmm. it's like the prophet. I mean, we all know there's a reason why a lot of like prophet names are like not super popular because like those prophets lived a miserable life. Yeah. I mean, really? The prophets had it rough, you know? And I'm not saying like the pastor is like completely analogous to like the prophet of the Old Testament, but People who speak God's word a lot of times have depression. Like there's so many prophets in the Old Testament who were like probably clinically depressed, um, yeah. who, who really just didn't want to do it anymore, who were constantly fleeing from the powers of the establishment, from people who are getting angry at them. And I feel like this is a thing that sometimes we miss in general, for pastors especially, but in general as yeah. Christians, is like a lot of times doing what God calls us to do is going to be at odds with what we're expected to do. Um, yeah. And yeah. if it's rough, of course, surround yourselves with people who are going to be compassionate and empathic and give you the support you need, but simultaneously don't automatically think that you've made the wrong choice or maybe this is not what you're supposed to do because a lot of times we have seen that the world is at odds. The people are at odds with what God wants you to say and what God wants mm. you to do. And maybe don't automatically take that as a sign that there's something, you did something wrong or there's something wrong, you know, because yeah. there's clearly a biblical precedence for people legitimately speaking God's word and there being a lot of struggle and tension from outside, you know? And so I think if that's not happening somewhat regularly, then you'll probably not really preaching the inspired word of God. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's something for pastors to hear today. Um, you know, so, you know, I've had many conversations even with pastors with larger churches and I've been trying to talk to them about, you know, if you're not pre preaching racial justice, then you're taking away a big part of the gospel message. And some of them actually know it, but they're just too scared to do it. And I think at that point, it's like, why even do what you're called to do? You know, if you believe it, but yet you're scared to, yeah. then it's like, have you sold out? You know, are you not doing what God's called you to do? And so any event, yeah. And I think that's an important thing because who cares if your church grows and yet you can't share the things that God's convicting you of. That's, I mean, that's a scary place to be. When, I when, read when there's something a conviction that... that God gives you and you can't preach that, that's such a scary, yeah. that's a terrible place to be. And uh, I hope any pastor will never find themselves in that kind of position for a long time, so. But I read do. something they that do. said, exactly, and it reminded me about some of the things that happened in Metro. It said, you know, preach what God puts in your heart. You may lose some, you may lose some followers, but you will gain a bunch yeah. of disciples. And I think it's, that's kind of the question is like, what are, what are, and it goes back to the whole topic of like, what is your metric for a successful church? Yeah. You know, is it the number of attenders or is it the number of disciples? And yeah. I think that's the question. And um, yeah. 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 It's really hard. It's really hard. I preached, yeah. uh, you know, on Easter yeah. this Sunday, I preached on racism and I preached on racial justice being like, you know, it's one of the powers of the resurrection. <laughs> and like, like, everyone was like, are you sure you want to do that? And I was like, I don't want to do it. Like, I just, God told me I have to. So mm -hmm. I have to be obedient here. And we might end up losing. It's going to be like the largest attended service of the year. And yeah, this probably will be one of those where those people who visit, a lot of them will probably not want to be a part of it, you know, and who knows, we might end up losing a lot of people as a result of it, you know, and stuff. And, uh, you know, but at the end, it's like, we got to be faithful to what God's called us to do. And we're not here to please people. We're not here just to like, you know, give somebody a word where they're saying, wow, I really need to hear that. That was so great. But sometimes we have to, you know, preach the things that God is calling us to preach in order for us to, you know, in order for us to be faithful to him. I mean, that's what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus 
when he said, I am the bread of life, I mean, it was so offensive to the people because he said, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And because they just live in this physical world, they didn't really understand. Then Jesus loses all of his disciples, except for the 12 that day. They I think all that's still weird for new church comers, by the way. Huh? I think that's still weird for a lot of people yeah, who you know, for the first time. But it's really think about the blood here's of what Jesus, Jesus covering us. Yeah, but here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, are you in or are you out? Like, are you all in or are you all, are you out? Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I, you only the only way you're going to be able to do this with me and follow me is you got to be all in. And so many, so much of what pastors have done too, and this is maybe my gripe against pastors, is we watered down the gospel so much that we make it so easy for people to think that having faith in God is easy, and that's not right because it's got to be hard, it's got to mm -hmm. be costly, mm -hmm. it's got to be painful. Yeah. It's got to it's got to hurt. So, you know, I guess that's a part of it. So anyway, we'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to email us, Peter or Sua at weekpastor.org, feel free to do that. Um, you can comment on our social media, watch us on YouTube. We'd love for you to watch us subscribe at Week Pastor on YouTube. We'd love for you to watch us there as well. So thanks so much for joining us. Please tune in next week. Take care. Bye.